Well, welcome back to Between the Pages, a podcast meant to inspire Christians to go deeper in their faith and theology by engaging books uh, from a Christian worldview. Uh, and I'm one of your hosts, Joel Nevius, and I'm here as always with our resident scholar of awesomeness, uh, Mark Krause. Uh, Mark, it's great to be with you again today. Thanks, Joel. It's, it's great to be with you, and I'm already feeling the pressure of trying to live up to those words. <laughs> uh, Mark, yeah. you just need to embrace that, okay? Everybody who knows you knows that's the case. And those of our listeners who've had the honor of listening to you in the past six episodes, they know that you have lots of awesomeness to share. And uh, but, but anyway, so just just embrace that, okay? Okay. Well, okay. If, if there's any awesomeness that comes through, Joel, I think it's just the... Uh, Your Enneagram type? Is that... No, uh, <laughs> no, I don't remember that describing my Enneagram type. Are you, are you, a, t- that. Are you a type 10 then? Uh, it's just awesomeness? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, I think I, I just love the uh, the ability and joy that God's given us for discussing these things. Yeah, and just too. I find it very easy to... Uh, engage you in discussion and bounce things off of each other. So that's what I love about this. And hopefully those listening um, continue to get something from it. Absolutely. So welcome to our listeners. If this is your very first time, glad you could join us. Hope that you find something meaningful in all that we talk about today. Um, And Mark, you know, we are blazing uh, through the screw tape letters at at, at breakneck pace here. (laughs) Uh, I think we're we're all of about a third of a way, maybe a fourth of the way through the book so far. So how are you feeling yeah. about that? Well, I'm feeling good about the momentum we're building. Um, we, we did slow down there for a while over the summer and, and coming into the fall. But uh, so far, we're on a weekly pace here to uh, deal with the chapters, and it feels good. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, hey, in today's episode, uh, we're going to be exploring chapters 10 and 11 uh, of the screw tape letters, uh, which we've been walking through. I want to encourage if this is your first time tuning in, be sure to check out some of the previous episodes, maybe even episode one, so you get more of an overview as far as what the screw tape letters is. Um, and uh, so we encourage you to do that. But today we're going to be touching on uh, the topics of, of worldly friendships, of vanities. And, and oddly enough, Mark, we're going to be talking about laughter. Yes. Which, uh, which is which is exciting. I'm, I'm looking in, forward to it. Interesting uh, topic for demons to be discussing. Yes, definitely. So, um, but yeah, just uh, a, just a 10 second maybe uh, quick summary of what the Screw Tape Letters uh, is. Um, it's a it's a book by C.S. Lewis, the great British author who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, Miracles, The Space Trilogy, all sorts of stuff. And uh, this book is a fictional account of of basically uh, a master demon sending letters to his apprentice demon on how to trip up humans, and in particular, Christ, this, this one particular Christian, to make him ineffective in, in being a Christ follower. And uh, so there's some humor, but there's a lot of cultural criticism and, and church criticism in this that's really fascinating. So I'm looking forward to, to diving back into this. And so Mark, we're going to, you know, to set the stage for our discussion, I'm going to read just the beginning of chapter 10 here in the screw tape letters, and we'll use that to kind of jump off and, and to discuss uh, this chapter. So Sounds good. So yeah, so here we go. Uh, this is screw tape uh, writing to his apprentice demon, Wormwood. He says, I gather 
that the middle-aged married couple who called at his office, his talking about the patient, his office are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficially and intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. I gather that they are even vaguely pacifist, not on moral grounds, but from an ingrained habit of belittling anything that concerns the great mass of their fellow men, and from a dash of purely fashionable and literary communism. This is excellent. And you seem to have made good use of all his social, sexual, and intellectual vanity. And so this is a right off the bat, you know, this is going to be an interesting uh, chapter to discuss, and I'm yes. looking forward to it. And what's really odd about, you know, the get-go here, Mark, is that we actually see Screwtape commending Wormwood. Yeah. <laughs> he's normally belittling. Occurrence, yes. he's, he's normally belittling him and uh, criticizing him. Uh, but here he's like, hey, you finally did something right, Wormwood. All right, here we go. <laughs> um, and so what he's done right is that he's directed this new Christian uh, towards some worldly friends. Uh, is what he's talking about. And so, yeah. and so, Mark, what do you what do you make of this uh, crowd of friends that Screwtape is describing? Um, what are what are Screwtape and Wormwood up to uh, in this letter? Yeah. So, so as as you've said, Screwtape is uh, delighted to hear that Wormwood is starting to take advantage of this couple that's come into the the young man's life. And as you read, this couple appears to be at least outwardly rich, smart, fashionable. Um, he calls them superficially intellectual um, and skeptical about everything in the world. And, and essentially saying to Wormwood, this is exactly the type of friendship that you want to cultivate in this man's life. Because, it's, because they can uh, take advantage of the young man's vanities, his weaknesses of wanting to be around people who look beautiful, who seem smart, present themselves in a way that makes him maybe feel a little bit more important or better about himself, but in a way that actually is going to be destructive to his character and his walk with God. And so screw tape is really highlighting, hey, this is an important strategy. You have an opportunity here. I want to help you take advantage of this wormwood and give you some advice on how to really um, just take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think as you were as you were reading that, or sorry, as you were commenting on this is um, basically he's saying, beware of hipsters. That's what, that's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Would... <laughs> Sorry if, you know, there's some hipsters who, are, who might be tuning in. I don't want to criticize you too much. But um, I feel like what Lewis is bringing up, I mean, obviously Lewis is writing from a particular context. And, yes. Um, yes. and he seems to be commenting maybe on some pretty common people that he would bump into as a scholar, you know, kind of the hmm. higher levels of, you know, culture. They're like the film critics only watch foreign films, you know, right, and they're the ones right. that, you know, when you say, oh, this is amazing or this is great, you know, maybe a new restaurant or something like that. They're like, mm, you know, mm, a lot of people like Chick-fil-A, but I think Chick-fil-A is trash. Um, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you, if you don't like Chick-fil-A, that's okay. All right. 
Um, but, but anyways, so, but yeah, he seems to have kind of a certain kind of person he has in mind that, that can really be damaging uh, to people who are particular new Christians and who can be easily, you know, influenced. Yeah. And um, yeah. so, so anyways, I think this is, this is pretty interesting, the kind of the people he's brought into his life. Yeah, it is. And I think, um, you know, the, the people that he's describing here probably in his arena might be those um, would be the cultural elite. Mm-hmm. And the people maybe even who Lewis at times found himself tempted to hang out with or be seen with. Yeah, which he talks about at one of his, is it uh, Abolition of Man? I can't remember where he talks about the inner the inner circle or the inner the inner ring. Okay. Um, yeah. where there's this inner ring of cultural elites and like who's right. in and who's out and right. that kind of thing. Anyways. No, I think, well, and I think it describes what Lewis is trying to do here is to show us that we all, you know, depending on what our community looks like, our, the environment that God's placed each of us in, depending on our work, you know, the kind of peers we're with, there is that kind of people that, um, that would be the ones who are more popular, you know, the ones who are seen as either the smart people, the beautiful people, whatever, and we find ourselves being tempted to really want to be around those people, to be seen with those people, to be part of that inner crowd that's light in that particular setting. And so for each of us, we'd probably have to say, what are the, what does this couple look like for us Absolutely. in our setting? Um, but in general, it's those who we want to hang out with. And I think the key here is Screwtape says to Wormwood, this couple appears to be the right kind of friends who will appeal to the young man's inner vanities. And so how would you describe some of those vanities, Joel? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as I, as I think about this, I think really what you're hitting at is, the, I love what you were just saying, Mark. It has a lot to do with the people that we admire. Mm-hmm. And the people we admire, we want to be around because a lot of times we think that they're going to enhance or yes. give us a, a, a sense of our identity that makes us feel important, yeah. makes us feel valuable, makes Great us point. feel um, like we really matter in some sense. And so each mm. group have have their own kind of things that are um, that are vanities, you know? Like, right. you know, if you're right. a good old country boy, you have things that you really care about that don't really matter in the end. Like, I got the biggest wheels now. I got the biggest tires. Whoa, like... At the end of the day, like, who cares? Like, what does that really have to do with anything? Or, you know, if you are, you know, a super hipster, you know, you, you have the same kind of things. Like, I go to this all-vegan place, and it's better than every place out there. And I have this certain kind of cold brew that, that is superior to all the others. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah. so, so what? You know, if Solomon in Ecclesiastes would be like, it's... It's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's yeah. all it's all futile. Like even if you get all of that, you enjoy it apart from God. Like what does it really give you? Nothing. I, you know, I think you're the way you're saying it, Joel, is great because what you're really doing is exposing the root of what's going on here in this young man's life and what Screw Tape wants Wormwood to exploit, and that is something that's that's fundamental to us as humans. Something that's that is part of our nature, part of who we are, that quite honestly, physical naturalism, uh, you know, evolution 
as being the explanation for all of life just can't address, and that is our inherent and desperate need for meaning and to feel valid, to feel like like our lives are meaningful, like I am a person as, as meaningful. And so there are healthy and good ways to achieve and recognize that meaning and purpose in life. And then there's always going to be ways that that the enemy, our enemy, the true enemy, is going to offer to us as a substitute for trying to achieve meaning and purpose in our lives. And that's really, I think, what's going on here, is this couple is offering a way for this young man to feel like he's being validated as a person, he can be seen as being with the right crowd, the right people, and so he'll feel better about himself. And 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 there's a goodness there. We all want to feel meaning. We want to feel better about ourselves in a way. But how are we going about doing that? And and are we pursuing truth in that sense that really is going to give us a deep sense of meaning and joy, a lasting sense of meaning and therefore joy, as opposed to something that is vain and is going to crumble in front of us at some point because it's not real. Those are such good points, Mark. And I think what Lewis is getting at here, and this is what Screwtape sees as he's targeting this, this young believer who's new in his faith, who hasn't been uh, a believer very long, hasn't matured very long. He knows right. exactly how to attack him mm-hmm. um, in his most vulnerable. And this appears to be someone, if this is going to work, this young believer isn't quite rooted in his identity in Christ mm-hmm. yes. uh, at this point. It's not, you know, maybe he knows it, but it hasn't gone deep into his soul. And so he can easily be moved and influenced and want right. to find significance and identity and the groups of people he, he's with. And, and Screwtape knows that. And basically yeah, yeah. in this chapter, Screwtape is is describing the strategy to get this young believer to just slowly slide into worldliness mm-hmm. little by little right to where you know as a christian he's going to find himself with these friends where where eventually um, the discrepancy between this young believer's beliefs mm-hmm. and what his worldly friends are advocating for what they value what they care about what they talk about there's going to be a collision between those two things. And what Screwtape wants him to do is essentially adapt. Do what you got to do to blend in with this group so you have that significance that you're you're craving. And he right, goes on to right. say, if you do this, he says, he will be silent when he ought to speak mm-hmm. and laugh when he ought to be silent. And so there's this sense in which when we, when we are unsure and we're not rooted deep down in who we are in Christ and who he's called us to be, right. that when I do this in my own life, oh man, like, and I have, mm-hmm. you know, this is dangerous for those of us who are naturally kind of people pleasers right. and, yeah. and who uh, love keeping the peace is that we can find ourselves in situations where like, well, I don't want to ruffle that person's feathers who might not believe in Christ and they're saying things. So I'll just keep nodding my head and with a big smile and, 
they'll they'll make a joke that might be inappropriate. And I'll just laugh along, <laughs> like that's that's so neat. And yeah, or they're cruel to or someone they're cruel, or, and yeah. we'll we'll jump in and be like, yeah, that person is a jerk. You know, we'll just yeah, we'll, or just not say anything, or yeah. be silent right. when we should speak up. <clears throat> and I know that that's a big temptation for me, and this is something uh, big time that, yeah. that he's trying to do. Yeah, and clearly this couple who have become acquaintances of this young man, clearly represent the, the lifestyle, the attitude, the motives that are not godly, that are not Christian. And so really uh, a couple of main strategies that Screwtape is telling Wormwood to use, because as you say, he's a young Christian, he's not yet seeing what's happening and he doesn't see the danger. And so Screwtape says essentially to delay as long as possible his ability to see that what he's initially experiencing as pleasure is actually temptation to pull him away and to live a dual life. Yes. Um, To live parallel lives where he looks one way in one arena and one way in another in his Christian and church arena, if you will. And so to keep him from seeing that and from acknowledging that there's a hypocrisy going on here, that there's a, a dualism that's actually causing him to experience a type of dis- disintegration in his soul. You know, if we think of living an integrated life, um, I've heard you say you, you'll be the same person in your Christian setting as you are in the other settings of your life, your work setting, your school setting. And when you're, when you're living that way, your soul's living an integrated life because you're the same person regardless of where you're at. When our soul starts to feel disintegrated is when we're living different lives. And we're living, we're living one way when with our Christian friends at church and when we're with our other friends who want us basically to meld in with them, to morph into, into that mode, we find ourselves, as you said, being silent. If at worst, or at best probably, we're being silent, at worst we're actually uh, beginning to participate in some of the things that, that they're doing or saying. You know, and I think that this is such a key, I mean, this is the key part of this chapter. I mean, mm-hmm. he has some other strategies, but this is the go-to. The go-to is to get Christians, like you said, I mean, a hypocrite is, you know, it's an actor, right? So an actor puts yes. on different masks depending on the circumstances and they right. and and they perform for people. And, you know, by the way, this is exactly uh, what Jesus calls the Pharisees as a hypocrite. You know, and then we see Paul in Galatians 1, you know, basically saying, you know, am I um, living to please Christ or living to please others? You know, right. and if I'm, right. you know, if, if I'm pleasing others, I'm not a servant to Christ. And so there's something really huge about the Bible constantly emphasizing this because apparently we have a real hard time being the same person in different settings. Right, yeah. And, and you know, whether it's from our upbringing or what, but, you know, obviously there's a continuum and some people are more predisposed for whatever reason uh, the, than others as far as doing that. But we've yeah, learned yeah. By how we've grown up and by how we try to find value and meaning that, okay, if I act this certain way with these people, I'm not going to be accepted. But if I tweak things, then I will be accepted. But this is why it's so important that if we know that we are accepted in Christ and we know that we are secure in Him and that He is um, He's where our joy lies and not in what other people think, 
then we can withstand Satan's attacks to say, hey, I'm going to bring these people in your life to get you to slide into their worldliness little by little. Yes. And um, so it's just so important for us to, to really think about that um, especially, you know, when we think about our circles of friends, who are our circles of friends? And if they all, if all the circles got into the same room, you know, together at the same time and we were with them, like, would we be a chaotic mess trying to like constantly right. change? Or would people say, oh, he's the same way. Oh, he's, he's the same way with you as he is with us. Right. And yes. uh, so I just think that's really important for us as Christians to evaluate, like, man, how much do I change and adapt for whatever circle of friends or whatever social context my worker, like when I'm at work, when I'm at school, my classmates, yeah, you know, my girlfriend or my wife or my husband, my church friends, my small group, like, right. am I consistent in all of those settings or are there huge discrepancies and it's just, uh, this has been a real convicting chapter for me as I've looked at that, that, man, I, I miss the mark a lot. <laughs> and I change yeah. and adapt a lot. Well, I, I say, yeah, because it has for me too, not because I'm affirming you yeah. saying that. <laughs> You're right, Joel, you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely, probably as much as any other chapter, I felt some conviction here too. And I would say for me, I just recognize that while in my other arenas people know I'm a Christian, there are times when I know I probably felt I was able to justify maybe not saying things when I should because they did know I was a Christian, you know, and I could, I, I, you know, screw tape is basically telling Wormwood to get the young man, his patient, to justify being two different people in yes. those settings. Yes, yeah. This is key. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, to, to find a way to justify it rather than acknowledging, you know, this is this is not healthy, this is not good, I'm being two different people, and ultimately it's going to impact my soul in a negative way. And I was just you, thinking about... No, keep, no, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, personally, I, I felt convicted because I think there were times when I justified not saying things in not-Christian settings, when afterwards I felt like I really could have said something. And I think I justified it because, in, well, here's one way I think that I would justify it is, they know I'm a Christian and I'm not participating in it. I'm just going to be quiet and not say anything rather than correcting really what's poor behavior or is unjust or is is not fair. And again, just justifying not saying anything by... I guess convincing myself that I've done enough, you know, I'm I'm being enough um, because I'm not, you know, openly participating in this discussion or whatever. And afterwards, I felt convicted that I didn't speak up because I knew I could have, and I and I knew I could have done it in a way that probably would have, um, I think, would have been sound, and I could have shown why something was wrong. Um, but I probably was was not wanting to stand out, was wanting to please, not wanting to feel that rejection, so to speak. So uh, for me as well, just very convicting. Definitely. Man, I relate to so much <laughs> of what you just said there. But, you know, as we try to work our way to the end of this chapter, I thought what was really interesting, you were so key in talking about the fact that um, that screw tape strategy is to get uh, the young man to justify being inconsistent. 
And he says basically to do that by exploiting his vanity. Yeah. And so for some of you know, for some of us, we live inconsistent lives because of fear, um, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. There's lots of different reasons why. Mm-hmm. But this young man's particular weakness and what he's trying to exploit. Based off of you know the cultural elitism that that he finds himself in the circles that he's in, right, is that Screwtape is trying to exploit his pride and his vanity, mm-hmm. and this. So let's tackle that just for a second because I thought this was really interesting. So basically, it kind of goes like this: is that um, he wants to get the the patient to look on with pride when he's around his worldly friends. And the way that he's acting, because yes. um, he wants them, you know, to be to be fine with that by looking at them and be like, oh wow, like they are worldly, but deep down I know that they're not really like being spiritual, and I'm living more of a deep spiritual life than they. But I'm gonna kind of go along with them anyways. I'll kind of condescend to their level and be there with them. But mm-hmm. I really know what life's about because I'm a Christian, and there's this like vain condescension and like looking down on them mm-hmm. in that in that one circle, that one social circle of worldly friends. But then when you flip it over to the uh, to his church brothers and sisters in the context of that social circle, uh, Screwtape wants to exploit his vanity and looking at them and saying, "You're a per- you're basically a simpleton as a Christian. Like you're not really acquainted with." the complexities of the world. I was hanging out with my uh, friends who were non-Christians and I was having cocktails with them and I really get how complex their lives are whereas this prude over here in the church that would never, you know, set foot yeah. outside the church, they don't really get. And so essentially like the uh, the attack is do whatever you can to get this patient um, to keep feeding his ego, to keep feeding his pride, so that no matter what social circle he finds himself in, he can always look down on them and always mm-hmm. look at himself as being more enlightened or more, you know, deep than yeah. than his other than his other friends. And in both settings, um, he's not being real. He's yes, not, he's not being transparent. You know, in his Christian setting. As you said, he's justifying in some way, saying, "Well, they wouldn't understand," you know, um, you know, and so, yeah, in some way, um, making himself feel better, you know, propping up his pride and saying, "Well, they wouldn't understand why I'm over here," you know, but I know that at least with me being them. Well, this is what Screwtape says. He says in in his other arena with his um, worldly friends, he says. Um, get him to continue the new acquaintance on the ground that he is, in some unspecified way, doing these people good by the mere fact of drinking their cocktails and laughing at their jokes. <laughs> and so, again, it, it uh, is kind of appeals to that pride, to justifying it by appealing to the pride of, well, just me being with them because I'm not as bad as them. I'm doing them good just being around them when really it's a reason to indulge in, in what they're doing exactly, and to feel the pleasure of that or the status of it, whatever is feeding his sense of identity and purpose. And then when he's with, as you said, the church crowd, he's just, he's justifying not being transparent and showing him this other life by saying, well, they don't understand. They're too, you know, they're too isolated as Christians or they're, or they're too um, legalistic, you know, whatever word we would put around it. Definitely. And that's so good. And, and, and kind of the end goal is this, is what, is what uh, 
screw tape says. And he says, thus, while being permanently treacherous to at least two sets of people, mm. he will feel, instead of shame, a continual undercurrent of self-satisfaction. Mm. And so, uh, at the end of the day, he's trying to rid him of any uh, feelings of, of, of shame over bad behavior, yeah. of... Uh, living two lives, living two lives, being mm-hmm. hypocritical, mm-hmm. and he just wants him to be self-satisfied yeah. and to look how great I am as a Christian or as a person, or look how deep I am, or or what have you. Well, in in that way, I think Lewis just does a great job in this chapter, maybe of convicting all of us to say, you know, in what way am I not really living? Um, as an integrated whole in all of my different settings, what where the word integrity comes from yeah. is you, you have integrity when your life is integrated, when you're the same person in every setting. And to the degree that we're not, we all need to be asking God to make that uber clear to us and give us the, the strength and capacity through his spirit to, um, to be the same person, to, be, to, to live with integrity. Good, good points. Um, anything else from chapter 10, Mark, that you want to touch on before we go to, to chapter 11, which is a pretty pretty interesting chapter as well? You know, probably the, the last thing I would touch on that I know we both, um, that really spoke to both of us, is Screwtape, um, and I just actually lost mine, but where he talks about the fact that whatever humans tend to become, whatever they practice being, whatever they pretend being, and for him with Wormwood, he's saying, if you can get this young man to keep hanging around this crowd, pretending to be like them, we will eventually become what we pretend to be and what we're practicing being. And of course, as Christians, ultimately, the same works the other way around. And Screwtape would yep. acknowledge that, help him to not practice being the Christian, help him to see that he's constantly failing at being a Christian. And so I must not be truly a follower of Christ because I'm falling. But the fact is, we're all practicing. We're all um, not pretending would be kind of the negative way of saying it, but in a way, as Christians, we're learning to be Christians. Right. And the more that we that we practice being Christians, the more we will become that. And that's encouraging in that sense. But we also have to realize that the danger lies on the other side of that. If we're hanging around with the wrong people and we're participating in things that we know are not God's will for us and ultimately are tearing down our soul, um, if we practice that, we will become what we practice. That's absolutely crucial, um, I think, for us to realize. You know, and a lot of times we don't we don't see that mark when we're in when we're in those circles. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times I look back now to people I used to hang out with and. Um, and I used to not see how they impacted me or influenced me. It was just like, whatever, like, I'm good, I'm strong, I don't need, you know, to always be around Christians 24-7. And, and while that's not, you know, while that's a little bit of exaggerated, um, I, I, I look back now and I'm like, man, I really did fall into really mm-hmm. some bad patterns yeah. and some really negative attitudes and some things that, man, I wish I would not have been in and that would have been counteracted had I been in a in a strong community of faith and I was going at yeah. it alone where it's like I'm going to be hanging out with all these non-Christians mm-hmm. and you know I'll be this bright shining example 
and that's not a bad thing, but if, but if the problem was, is that I was not grounded and being discipled to be firm and to be a, a man of integrity, secure in Christ, no matter where I was. And when that isn't the case, then, you know, we're susceptible to all sorts uh, of, of bad things that don't bring glory to God and, yeah. and all kinds of harmful patterns and routines and, uh, and habits we can get ourselves into. You know, and, and that, that makes a great point that's probably worth emphasizing before we move on to the next chapter here, which I think is a little bit shorter than what we've been speaking to. But um, we should affirm that it's great for Christians to have non-Christian friends. And they we, should, yeah. Yeah, we should have non-Christian friends. We need to be loving the world as Christ loved the world and drawing them to Christ and and and, and being a model of Christ. I think, I think the difference is, are we, we need to continually ask the Holy Spirit to show us when we are just, when we're in that mode of justifying things um, and we're actually falling into patterns, as you said, as opposed to loving them in the way that Christ wants us to love him and to be showing Christ to them. And so we really have to Great pay attention point. to our motives, and and our motives will often be um, exposed when we recognize that we're justifying things in our own heart and mind. Really, really good points. Well, Mark, let's let's go ahead and turn over to, to chapter 11, Yeah, which I... At first, I didn't know what to think, but as yeah. I thought about it more, I thought that this was a really a profound chapter as well. I don't think we have as much to say on this, but uh, I thought it was really good because, mm-hmm. you know, here in chapter 11, Screwtape takes a really interesting approach because he wants to continue along this theme of using the patient's friends. And we see here that he's kind of expanded the circle of friends, of worldly friends in, in the patient's yeah. life. And he describes them as steady, consistent scoffers and worldlings. <laughs> I don't know why when you add lings to anything, it's just yeah. funny. <laughs> it, it rings of, so. uh, he, he obviously was friends with Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The inklings, yes. the world. I don't know. There's just something yeah. funny about that. But anyway, so, um, so apparently we don't have the correspondence between Wormwood, send, you know, Wormwood sending a letter to Screwtape, but apparently he referred... Uh, to them, uh, his fr- uh, the patient's friends, as being great laughers. Mm-hmm. And so Screwtape here dives into a discussion, uh, which is really fascinating, about what causes laughter. Yeah. And I think this is going to be really interesting, because I think this is a really important thing for our culture when we think about laughter and joy and being happy and being entertained. We love good comedies. Mm-hmm. Laughter is a pretty important, I think, thing yeah. in our culture and having a good sense of humor um, and prob- and for human beings in general. Yeah. Uh, laughter is something that we're uniquely equipped to experience. It's true, unless you're a hyena. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't even know. Anyways, <laughs> sorry, that was dumb. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> um, so anyways, he says, uh, so Screwtape uh, says something fascinating here. He says that human laughter uh, really comes from uh, one of four different places. Mm-hmm. He says that it can spring out of joy. Mm-hmm. He says it can spring out of fun. Or he says that it can spring out of what he calls uh, a joke proper. And, and then the last thing he says that laughter can come from is flippancy. And uh, if you're yes. like, what the heck is flippancy? Uh, we'll try to we'll dive into that in just a second. 
but but ultimately, Screwtape wants to use laughter and what causes laughter in a real twisted way uh, to make the patient slide more and more into worldliness. And the main source of laughter that he really wants to focus on in this chapter is creating an attitude of flippancy that will boil over into into ungodly laughter. Yes. And so before we'll get to that last, but Mark, why don't we just walk through some of the distinctions he makes uh, between joy, fun, and telling jokes, and then we'll we'll look at what he means by flippancy and why that can be such a danger. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to begin with, um, he kind of addresses it along a spectrum, and he, he starts with joy. <coughs> Excuse me. Starts with joy. <coughs> you might have to speak for it's me, okay. Joel. <coughs> it's okay, Mark. Yeah. yeah. You can just hack it up if you want to. The, okay. Our listeners won't see whatever comes out. They won't see out. it. Only you will. That's right. Um, he starts with joy, and he basically says, you know, it's kind of the purest end, end of the laughter spectrum, that joy is. He says to Wormwood, there's really nothing we can do with joy. There's no way for us to distort what is essentially pure joy. And so just stay away from that. Don't even try to use that in terms of uh, using laughter in negative ways. And that was really interesting because joy, it is hard for us to think about how would Satan use joy in a negative way in our lives because joy is really almost connecting with something deep that is that you don't generate. It's more, as Christians, we would say, and I think Scripture describes it, is really connecting with something that is at its core, God. Yes. That God is the source of pure joy in it. It really is a depth of happiness and fulfillment that causes laughter, but it is something other than laughter. Laughter is just a you know, a very healthy, pure symptom of feeling just this deep inner sense of, I would just describe it as as pure fulfillment and security and safety that just makes you feel wonderful. And for us as Christians, we've experienced that just in the sense of God's grace, his acceptance, his love, and just feeling his presence with us um, uh, continuously throughout our lives in different ways. So he begins with joy and then go, moves on to, um, to fun. And he says, you know, fun is also something that it can be used, he says, to distract um, someone from doing something better or what's right. So fun can be, we can get so caught up in just wanting to have fun that it distracts us from something better but in a sense, he still says there's not a whole lot that we can do with fun itself. Um, what we would describe as healthy fun, you know, playing sports or music, you know, listening to, to good music, just going out with friends and having, you know, good, honest fun. He says there's really still not a way for them to use that too much. It's somewhat limited. Now, when you get into joking, now there's a little bit more there to work with before we get to flippancy. And what would you say about joking, Joel? I think you described that well. Well, I found I found this uh, really fascinating because, you know, there 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 are different kinds of joking, obviously, mm-hmm. and there are good jokes, there's bad jokes, and he basically says to Screw Tape, you know, you might be very tempted just to use indecent kind of sexual kind of jokes yeah. um, uh, to bring about worldly laughter and, and, and things like that. But he basically says, 
Um, you know, essentially, this isn't even as uh, powerful as we could make it, basically. He just says, mm-hmm. basically, like, hey, you can use indecent jokes, and, yeah, that's fine. But the problem is, is that when you make a joke about something sexual, you're taking the focus off of whatever was sexual and what could be turned into lust, and you're just laughing about it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Lewis, you know, at the beginning of the book says that sometimes, obviously, screw tape says a lot of things, and we don't need to take everything he says as, as true, because I think there is also a sense in which when you joke about sex too much, mm-hmm. you can cheapen what it is, and it can just be something futile and who cares and it's just something casual yeah but but i think what he's trying to say is if you really want to make a joke successful and bring about uh, some real worldly sinful kind of twisted laughter is not not just to make sex funny but in so doing you're also still creating a craving for it in illicit ways that you're still the most effective form of indecent jokes it's not that it just makes light of it, but that it makes light of it and makes too much of it at the same time to where it creates a lust and a desire for it. So, yeah. you know, for instance, that might be, you know, we can think of like romantic comedies or certain comedies that, that have come out that may be really funny movies, mm-hmm. but they're almost like a Trojan horse for a lot of sexual content that creates lust you know, in young men and women's hearts. And and so that's the most effective thing is if you can cheapen sex and then at the same time create an insatiable and, and uh, very unhealthy craving and lust for it at the same time. Right. So that's when it's like, okay, now it's, it's checkmate when it comes to those kinds of, uh, of jokes. But basically he takes that and runs with it and say, that's just an effective strategy for, for anything, and, and to the mm-hmm. point that you can just use joking to to completely mask and cover up vices and deficiencies and sinful behavior, yeah. and turn it all into a big joke. Like, go for it! Like, that's that's really where you're going to start really tripping people up, right? right. And and basically, he, uh, you know, as Lewis is writing this, he seems to suggest that. That, you know, um, the British really care about wittiness, about humor, about making light of certain things. And it's almost a deficiency if you don't have a good sense of humor. Mm. And he talks about how important it is for humor to become this all-consoling and all-excusing grace of life, is what he calls it. And so what that means is that uh, the best thing you can do with jokes is just to cover up and, and use it as this all-encompassing grace to, to cover up screw-ups, <laughs> to cover up things that we should be shameful of, that yeah. we should feel embarrassment over, that we should feel like there's something wrong that I did this, such as cowardice, or he talks about cruelty. Yeah. And, uh, and to basically turn it all into a big joke, and it helps us to avoid the consequences and those moments where we can learn and be like, man, I was really cowardly there. Yeah. And instead of making a big joke about it to where everyone isn't disappointed in me anymore, they're laughing with me now. Yeah. To the point that we could do that, then well, I can excuse what I did. Yeah, great points. And this this really is a commentary on our culture because, as you said, um, there are probably few things that our culture appreciates more than just comedians, you know, laughter. Um, 
And there's a goodness to that when it's helping us, in a way, make fun of ourselves, you know, to, to, to make fun of uh, or to make light of things in life that we might be too serious about totally. or take too seriously. But what we see in our culture a lot today, and it's certainly present on late night comedy, but comedy in general, is really jokes being used as an auspices for cruelty <clears throat> and for ridiculing. That's so true. <clears throat> and we can just call it, oh, well, it's just a roast. Like That's what you get. Like yes, Comedy yes. Central presents the roast of so-and-so or yeah. whatever. And, and, and or the, you know, there are lots of things like that. And they just destroy people. And they say, why are you absolutely. getting upset? It's just a joke. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> too many, too many comedians now are using it really as a pretext to, um, to push their agenda, whatever that agenda is, whatever side of the political spectrum they're on. Of course, that's a huge divider in our culture. And it really boils down to cruelty, regardless of how, um, how, you know, the how dumb um, another person might have acted in some context. But to use joking and laughter as a pretext for cruelty and ridicule, and that kind of gets into flippancy, um, it starts to cross a line to where we really are seeking to destroy someone that we disagree with or have a, a bone of contention with, as opposed to using joking in any type of a, of a healthy or constructive way. Yeah, and he says this. He says, Screwtape writes, he says, cruelty, cruelty is shameful unless the cruel man can represent it as a practical joke. Yes. So, you know, Joel, it makes me think of even um, when Christ is on the cross, when Christ is on the cross and the Roman guards are joking, um, you know, callously about him being king of the Jews. Others are joking, you know, save yourself. Um, if you're the son, son of God, come down for there. Just really seeing that mocking, joking, where it's causing laughter, but it's at someone else's expense. And whenever we're joking in a way that is at someone else's expense, boy, that should send up a flag for us as Christians. Um, because I think we're guilty of it too, especially when uh, I think we can be guilty of this with the world at times um, and joking in ways that aren't, that aren't appropriate, even when, when we're um, talking about someone doing something evil or bad, um, when we get to the point where we're just ridiculing and using laughter in that way, it's really not appropriate. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh some of my, uh, you know, some of our reformed friends might even be, you know, a little offended that we would say this, but even if you go and look back at the Reformation, when you see some of the artwork yeah. that was done uh, to, you know, I mean, there was a lot that they were reforming that needed to be reformed, but Absolutely. there was artwork yeah. that took it to the extreme where they were making fun of the Pope, they were making fun of Catholics in like really obscene ways. I was just I think my uh, yeah. historical theology professor showed us this, and I was like, you know, some people chuckled. I'm just like, this is like really awful yeah. kind of stuff. No, it's really true. And even Martin Luther himself, I mean, yeah. some of the things he said, we just kind of cringe at and say, wow, you know what, the you were right for challenging those things, but the how we do it is just as important as the what. And we Definitely. we forget that sometimes. And, and no one... Martin Luther being a good example, no one, regardless of, of how much they were used by God to bring about change, 
no one's perfect in this sense. We, we often do, do right things in the wrong way, and, and we can't justify it. Yeah, I agree. Now, at the far end of the continuum that, you know, where we've moved from joy to fun to jokes, uh, screw tape really lands on this, this last strategy that he wants more than anything, and yes. that's for um, the patient to, to have an attitude of flippancy. Yes. And so you want to just maybe describe what he means by that uh, as far as it taking just a, just a next level up from joking. Yeah, flippancy becomes this, it really becomes this attitude of just using laughter in a twisted sense to ridicule everything, to be skeptical of everything, to put down everything, uh, as and, and in that way kind of make yourself look um, superior to everyone and everything. It's a lack of seriousness, not taking any, you know, anything seriously, and just ridicule. Um, again, which we see is so common in our culture. Um, so, so that's the way Lewis, through screw tape, uh, describes it. How? It, what would you add to that, Joel? Well, let me just let me read what he says. He says, "Among flippant people, the joke is always assumed to have been made, mm. and no one actually makes it. But every serious subject is discussed in a manner which implies that they have already found a ridiculous side to it. And so, flippancy." really is an attitude. It's an approach. It's a way of run. It's, it's almost like a grid through which you run everything through. Hmm. You've already had this predetermined uh, conclusion that yeah. just said everyone's a joke. Everything is ridiculous. Anything anyone says, I can find a counterexample to that, or I can look in their personal life and see how they don't measure up to that. So therefore, I can discredit any position that that goes against what I believe. And so it's a lot of, you know, um, uh, it's a lot of genetic fallacies. It's a lot of just immediate yeah. discrediting something because of right. because of where it's coming from. But we do it under the guise of kind of like, oh, that's ridiculous. And that's making you, a joke. Of you things. might make a joke of it, but in your heart, you're just so callous that you're not even open to receiving what whatever message might be coming in. You're not even willing to engage it, to to have a coherent argument with it. Yeah. You've already said you've already said that person is ridiculous, that idea is stupid, and I'm gonna ridicule it and 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 show that it is. Right. And um and so it's really it, it's a really uh, pretty terrible attitude to be in. And I know I've found myself in that as well. And I'd say our culture is, we're getting to that point. I mean, I feel like it's, yeah. we're living in catcher of the rye. Like we're all holding Caulfield. We're all looking at everyone saying everyone's a phony. Mm. Not realizing that if we say everyone's a phony, guess what? Guess what we are then? Yeah. We're a phony as well. So maybe right. we shouldn't take what uh, our statement that we are phonies. Maybe we shouldn't take that to be <laughs> actually true. So we find ourselves in, in a real hard um, place in our culture to have really well thought out, charitable kind of discussions and, and conversations with people. Well, and it really, um, you know, you really stated it well as just emphasizing that it's an attitude and that it really doesn't even involve any reason or argumentation. And that's something that Lewis is so big on because when we're really, when we take the time to honestly evaluate something, to look for the good in what someone's saying, 
as well as maybe what is distorted or, or is not rational, does not make sense, then we're being honest with, with an argument, with a position. But when you just ridicule someone and you just right. dismiss them, you're not even using reason. Um, reason being from God. Pure reason is something that, that Lewis would say, that's from God. If we're reasoning, it, reason isn't bad, wrong reasoning is bad. And, and flippancy really is just very dismissive of other people's positions, of their feelings, of their thoughts. And it, in that sense, it really is just an attitude. Um, and it's a very superior attitude that in the end um, leaves you with nothing to stand on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, when you get to a point of flippancy, I know in my own heart, because I've had real uh, seasons of that, especially when I was in college. I look back at, I started a blog, like, back when I was in college, and thank God I took it down uh, after a while. I mean, I don't know how many posts. I had a lot of posts. And I went back later on in life and read them, and oh my goodness, like, I was just rife with with flippancy, with mm. there's just a hard heartedness where yeah. everything I was looking at, I just kept trying to see through, and always assume the worst, and um, and yeah. so er, things were jokes to me that shouldn't have been jokes, and I should have taken things more serious and and given more charity uh, to people, but I didn't, and I feel like it's really what the Bible describes as being hard hearted when God turns us over into our heart slowly hardens, yeah. you know, and here what we see in screw tape is towards other people, towards positions, and you know, we dehumanize people mm-hmm. so that we can easily get a, a you know laughter out of it. And it's just so yeah. cold hearted and, and brutal. And he writes this, screw tape says, he says, if prolonged, the habit of flippancy builds up around a man the finest armor plating against the enemy that I know. And it is quite free from the dangers inherent in the other sources of laughter. Meaning, um, in the other sources, there's still a softness of your heart, like enjoy, like you are responsive to God and you are just, you're filled with joy and there's this laughter that almost comes out, just a natural response to God's goodness and it's beautiful. And even having fun, you can have that. And even in jokes, there can be some of that too. Mm -hmm. But once you get to this point of flippancy, like you really have just coated yourself with armor plates that isn't really, you're just deflecting everything. And it reminds me of what Lewis wrote in one of his other books where he talks about that you know, it really defines skepticism well as kind of this attitude of constantly seeing through things. And he's like, what would you make of someone, you know, that, you know, that continually could see through everything? So if they looked out of their window, you know, the point is to see what's behind the window, but what would you make of a world where you look beyond a window only to find more transparent things and you know the trees are glass and the grass is glass and the ground is glass everything is made out of glass you don't see anything opaque and yes. you're, you're you're not seeing anything of substance and, and so i feel like this is kind of the same thing where our culture yeah. is constantly <clears throat> just deconstructing everything so we can see through it and dismiss it right out of hand and we can make jokes about it well, and it really speaks to um, the relativism of our culture because our, our culture, one of the voices in our culture is that uh, there is no truth. You know, everyone's got their own agenda. 
Um, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. And so we've read, uh, a part of culture has redefined tolerance as being affirming, not just affirming someone's right to have an opinion um, and free choice, so to speak, on what they're going to choose to believe, but it's uh, but tolerance is affirming everyone's opinion as being equally good. Well, once you start, in a sense, seeing through everything and saying, well, nothing is objectively true. Everything is just opinion. Everyone is, every, every religion is, is just subjective opinion. It's really the same thing. You're just, you're saying everything's transparent. Nothing is true. We're, we're seeing through everything. And then you're really seeing through nothing or you're not seeing anything. If you see through everything, you're not seeing anything. You're not grasping any truth. And so um, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I would... I, well, I, think, would well, I think that's applicable, though, because I have... You, I mean, I've, I've had friends, and I'm, I'm sure you probably know some people the same way, and um, where they do take that approach and they openly mock Christianity, mm-hmm. right? And, and then yeah. you ask them why, and it's not really well-informed. It's more yeah. of an emotional response. And that's no. not to say that all people who disbelieve in Christianity is like that, no, but I'm saying no. that you do come across people who do dismiss everything and start from that place where they're flippant and they make jokes about Jesus, you know, and you yeah. see, I mean, you even see like Dawkins and, you know, the late Christopher Hitchens, they would just say some awful, like flippant kind of statements and, and mock Jesus, yeah. and, you know, they would say that it was cosmic child abuse from God. You know, like these, like, very flippant remarks that would give a, get a cheap laugh from audiences, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really well thought through. And um, so I just, I, I do take your point. I do think that that is the case and, and yeah, with some people. It is, and I think what I would want to emphasize um, in just closing out my comments is that as Christians— we have to recognize that we're guilty of this too. Yeah. And because it is the worst form of laughter, it's the worst form of joking, um, when we just dismiss other religions or other people's opinions about life, when we just dismiss them flippantly and we don't seriously engage in what they're saying or even affirm where there's truth about what they're saying. One of the greatest uh, witnesses we can have as Christians with people of other faiths is to affirm truth where where they're speaking truth, but then to point out where there's fallacies or flaws and to show why Christianity really is the best explanation for the way the world is and why we find ourselves in the type of world we do and the situation that we're in. Um, and so we have to guard against flippancy. You're right. You're right. Um, because we're guilty of it too, and the world sees it when we are. Yeah. And and we lose credibility. I agree, and I know I've, I I can tend to to fall that way too, because I'll I'll see. It's certain easy ob- to go there. Yeah, I'll see certain objections or just whatever, and I'm just like, oh, that's ridiculous, and you know, I fall in, I definitely fall into that. But yeah, I think what you're saying is right. We have to. We have to think really well and not mm-hmm. let our emotions or our gut responses control the way we respond. Because, yeah, we cannot get to this point of, of flippancy because then it means our hearts are hardened towards those that Christ has called us to love. Right. You know, and it and, cuts off dialogue. It yeah. cuts off meaningful dialogue and friendship. and Definitely. And so, yeah. you know, there was a huge uproar, right, when was it God is Not Dead came out. And there was a lot of criticism to say that, that 
wow, like we were kind of flippant towards atheists in the way that we represent them and the way that, you know, that they were portrayed as, as just idiotic or, you know, had ulterior motives and all these other things. And the Christian was the smart one and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Building caricatures. Uh... Yeah. So we have to, we have to be on the guard for sure. And I think that was a really good point you made. So Mark, as we, as we finish up, um, we've gone an hour. So I think we had a goal for 40 Surprise, minutes. Yeah. yeah big, big shocker. But, but anyways, as, as we close, like maybe if you have maybe one, way that you would encourage our listeners, particularly if they're Christians, mm-hmm. uh, just to, how could they apply these these chapters as we've been talking about them? I would say, um, for me again, just what, what really spoke to me in that first chapter about really being aware of, am I living in full integrity? Am I the same person everywhere? And not to say that, you know, that I'm living two different lives, but I just recognize that um, there are times when I can speak out more as a Christian in intelligent and non-flippant ways, um, challenge behaviors um, and attitudes when I'm around non-Christians sometimes that I don't because I don't want, you know, I want to be accepted. I don't want to, you know, cause waves. And, um, and I want to represent Christ better. I want to, in every setting that I'm in, um, I want to be a whole person. I want to be the same person. And so for me, it's about living in integrity, having an integrated soul to where I'm not allowing my soul to be disintegrated in different arenas and around different people. And um, because that does cause uh, a type of illness, a spiritual illness, and I think a soul illness that uh, plagues us all, and that's ultimately what God's want. That is a poison that God's wanting to draw out of us. That's such a great, uh, great thing for us to be thinking through. Definitely, I think you know my one you know application point that I would say I think is largely based off of um, chapter ten as well. And you know I think we already touched on it, but I would say that if, if that if you're a Christian, and particularly, uh, I mean. For sure, I think this is true across the board, but particularly if you are a, a newer Christian, if you have non-Christian friends that you hang out with a lot, that is awesome. And, and so continue to do that. Mm-hmm. But what I would encourage you to do is to not do it from a place of, of being disconnected from your Christian community and from going to church and going deep in your faith because if all you're doing is hanging out with non-believers and you're not growing yourself and you're not being in another community being strengthened, uh, you will slide into worldliness. Yeah. Even though we're in Christ, you know, our flesh still wages war on our souls and we are still we still need to guard ourselves from that and we still need to continue focusing on Christ. And so I would say maybe don't quit what you're doing, but maybe make sure you're, you're being rooted and grounded um, in a solid uh, community of faith yeah. uh, as you're doing that so you can be more effective for the kingdom. So that would be my, that would be my one encouragement. Good words, Joel. So, Mark, a, a great, uh, great discussion today. Thanks for all that you contributed. Uh, your voice held out. So it, it did. It actually it did. improved as good. we went on. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> so take that, screw tape. Um, 
So anyways, well, hey, if, um, if you're tuning in uh, for the first time, we just want to say thanks for, thanks for listening. We, we want to encourage you to hit subscribe and whatever podcast app you're, you're listening to if you haven't already. And if you've enjoyed this episode or if this has been really helpful for you, uh, it would mean a lot to us if you would share it uh, in social media or text it to your mom or your dad or whoever you think could benefit from listening to this and we really, really desire that that this show um, that God would use that God would use this show to um, to really help Christians go deeper in their faith and, and to to get good Christian resources as well. Yeah. So, Mark, looking forward to next time. Yes. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank and, you, Joel. Yeah. And once again, uh, thanks for joining us uh, for Between the Pages. <laughs>